Would you take your Bibles with me, Deuteronomy chapter 33. While you're turning there, uh, I want you to uh, go ahead and take a look at this picture that I have for you. Uh, when I was a teenager, my uncle, which is the, this would be on your farthest right, um, he lived in a gravel pit. And uh, he had permission to go along in that gravel pit and play around and pretty much do whatever he wanted. He hunted down there and uh, we did all kinds of things down there. And this is a picture of one of those things. Um, we used to play paintball down there. I don't know if any of you have ever played paintball before. Um, some of you older ladies look like real paintball um, experts over there. Um, but there are all kinds of guys that would come out and play, all kinds of guys from our church. Uh, all guys from the area would come out and play with us. The goal of the game was kind of simple, not really that difficult. One team would go and hide and the other team would come find them. And whoever got everybody out first, uh, that, that team was the winner. There were three guys that played that you could never seem to get out. And those three guys are pictured in this picture. I am uh, right next to my uncle. Uh, my brother is also right there. So the two smaller guys are me and my brother. So that's a funny picture in and of itself. But the, the, my uncle was, a, it was in the United States Marine Corps. So he's, he's the next jarhead is what they call him. And he's a little crazy and he wouldn't mind me uh, saying that to you today because that's what he actually is. And so he had uh, some really good ways of never getting hit. One of those ways was he had what's called a ghillie suit. And a ghillie suit is basically a mangled up mesh of fabric and it was really good for hiding and you can never find the guy let alone shoot him you can never find him the next person was a man by the name of Dan Highslope and Dan Highslope is all the way on the other end with a massive beard okay this this is that guy and first of all he was he had a big beard like if you have a beard like that you can pretty much do anything in your life all right <clears throat> And he as well, he had a ghillie suit, so same thing, you could never find the guy. It was really difficult to find all of these guys. And then the guy right next to Dan Highslope is my dad. My dad was just smart. Smart and fast. You could never catch him, you could never find him. He always seemed to have a different angle on you. And you know the funny thing about playing paintball with these guys? They all seem to end up on the same team. Every time. No, I'm not kidding. No, it, is, it was as if they had it planned. And we, I don't think we ever drew straws or picked teams or anything like that. But it always seemed to be the adults against the kids or the teenagers. And every time, we would lose. Every single time. There was one time in particular, I was sitting against a tree. And my uncle always used to wear that same hat. And so I knew it very well. And up comes crawling up this hill a hat. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I mean, he's so close, so close. And I'm nervous because I'm thinking I'm going to get hit instead of him. And so all of a sudden I just start shooting the paintball gun at him. And all I can see is the hat spinning around. You know what that jerk did? He saw me up there and hung, basically hung his hat there and let me just tear it to pieces. Smart. And so we end, I ended up getting shot by him, and I was out, and that was the, pretty much the end of the game. But that happened over and over and over and over and over, and this team always won. 
They had these three guys on it. They would always never get out. They would always get everyone else out. Whether they were the approaching team or the hiding team, it didn't matter. Um, I remember another time I got hit, had no idea where it even came from. No idea. Because these guys were so good. They were far superior to the rest of us. This is a fun story from my childhood. It was fun reminiscing, finding these pictures and looking through several things. But there is some sort of a spiritual application here, as hard as it may be to find. Just like having these three guys on your team always meant winning, here it is. We have a God on our side every single day of our lives, and he is far superior to anybody else. I want you to write this down, if you will. The greatness of God allows for absolute victory. The greatness of God allows for absolute victory. Do you know that God has never lost a battle? Oh, you say, well, he died on the cross, right? No, no, no. That was a victory. That was a victory for all of mankind, all of the world. Jesus, God, has never lost a battle. The greatness of God allows for absolute victory. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 26. The beginning of chapter 33, Moses goes down through each of the tribes, gives them a blessing and tells them things that will happen to them. And it, it, it's, there's much to learn in there, but for sake of our series here, we're going to continue through verse 26. The Bible says, There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. Again, Jeshurun, another word for Israel. Who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also, his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel. Who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help? And who is the sword of thy excellency and thine enemies? Shall be found liars unto thee. And thou shalt tread upon their high places. I want to preach to you a message, one that I have felt multiple times playing paintball with my dad and my uncles. They don't stand a chance. They don't stand a chance. You understand that the enemy of God does not stand a chance. The enemy of us, the world, Satan, does not stand a chance. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you've done for us. Thank you for allowing us to live a victorious life. Father, there are times in our lives where we just choose to live defeated. There are times where we choose not to take your power, not to take your side. Father, I pray that this morning would be one of those mornings where we choose to be on the Lord's side. Father, I pray that you would help us in this hour. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to understand that the world and Satan has already been defeated. Already been defeated. Satan has already been kicked out of heaven and he knows his end. He knows what's going to happen to him. He, know, he understands that and he's working hard to take as many people with him as he can. But he, he knows that he does not stand a chance. Why? 
Why don't these people stand a chance? Why do we have the victory? Well, first of all, I want you to see no containment. No containment. What in the world does that mean? Look at verse 26 again. There is no containment. Verse 26, the Bible says, There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun. Now watch how Moses describes this God. Who rideth upon the heaven in thy help. And in his excellency on the sky. Look at that again. Who rideth upon the heaven in thy help. And in his excellency on the sky. Historically, people have ridden horses for years. And some people still do. Horses are powerful animals. Horses are absolutely beautiful and magnificent. If you've never ridden one, you need to do it in your lifetime. It's a fun experience. We rode them in Tennessee and in the Smoky Mountains area. It was an absolute blast to do. But understand this, as powerful and as beautiful and as magnificent as a horse is, there is someone that controls him. You know who controls him? The person riding on him. The person riding on the horse, as powerful as a horse is, I mean, horses have been used to do many things, plow fields and, and ride for hours and hours and hours on end. Horses are amazing things, but the rider is the one who commands the horse to go one way or another. The Bible talks about the bits, how it's such a small thing, yet it steers such a large animal. Do you understand this? The rider is not subject to the horse. The rider does not go where the horse wants to go. The horse goes where the rider wants to go. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. There's lots of stories otherwise. But the Bible says here that God rides the heavens. God rides the heaven. You understand that God is not contained by the heavens. As large and as massive as the heavens are, God is not contained by that. He controls the heaven. He is not subject to the heaven. The heaven is subject to him. This is the God that we serve every day. This is the God that we have working on our behalf. This is the God that loves us unconditionally. This is our Father. He rides on the heaven. The Bible tells us this, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Do you realize this, that, that massive thing in the sky, the thing that we could never see the end, we're putting planes in the sky, and hundreds of thousands of planes at a time in the firmament, and God has control of all that. The heaven is just an instrument that God uses to show us what he can do. We played instruments this morning. Maybe, well, I know some people played them very well. I myself don't play very well. But the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. The heavens are just an instrument to show off how wonderful God is. The glory that God has. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Watch this. The end of that verse says this. And in his excellency on the sky. His excellency on the sky. I don't think there's an artist in the entire world that can capture the true wonder of the sky. Sunrise, oh my goodness. 
beautiful. Beautiful. You, you, can't ca- you can try and take pictures of it. You can try and do whatever you can do to take a picture of a sunset. But it just doesn't compare to watching it and seeing it. The sun, a sunset. Again, beautiful. The sky with clouds. Have you ever just laid on a summer day looking up at the clouds and picking out the shapes? Listen, God controls all of that. That's God's handiwork. That's God working in a mighty way. His excellency is in the sky. We are in awe and have been in awe. Man has been in awe of the sky for thousands of years. God is not bound by the sky. God is not bound by the heavens. But notice why God does this. Why does God ride upon the heaven? Look there. Again in verse 26, who rideth upon the heaven, here it is, in thy help. God rides upon the heaven. He has so much power and so much control for our help. The Bible says that God sendeth the rain upon the just and the unjust. That's helpful to us. I used to farm. It's really helpful for farmers. When there's rain that comes down, God uses the sky to help, to help his children. What has God done in the heaven to help? Let's talk about the children of Israel specifically. Well, back in Exodus, you know what God did? God made hail to fall down from the sky. Hail mixed with fire was one of the ten plagues there in Egypt from the sky God allowed that. You know what else God did there in Exodus? He completely blocked out the sun. And there was darkness upon all the face of Egypt at the time. In Joshua, we will eventually see that God made the sun and the moon stand still. So that Joshua and his men could finish the battle. See, there are so many examples. Another one, God used the star to announce the birth of his coming Savior. You see, God uses the sky for our help, for the uh, children of Israel's help. God used it to help us. God is such a great God. He's such a magnificent God. He helps with one of the largest things in all of the earth, the heaven. Let's take a look at what Solomon has to say. Solomon was in charge of building the temple. The one that David had in his mind to build, Solomon was able to build it. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 18, Solomon says this, listen. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee how much less this house which I have built listen God was God had instructed Solomon to build a house but Solomon knew in his mind listen even the heaven of heavens cannot contain God how much less this house that I'm going to build now listen the house the temple that Solomon built was absolutely magnificent beautiful gold everywhere 
It was amazing. It was a wonderful temple. It was a wonderful uh, tribute to God. But Solomon understood that the heaven of heavens, no matter how big you think the heavens are, God is still riding on it. It cannot contain him. God is not controlled by the heavens, but he is in control of the heaven. There's a song that we sing. It's called, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the roaring thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods, forest, glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. I don't know where you're at in your life today. I don't know if you're down, if you're discouraged. I don't know if you're defeated. But God is a God that rides the heavens, that nothing can contain him. How great is he? He is amazing. There is nothing greater than the God we serve. There is nothing that can contain him. There is nothing that can confine him. He is the God that rides the heavens. With that information, that should lead us to our next point, number two. We can live in absolute comfort. Absolute comfort. Let's look at verse 27. Because of that, look at verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge. The eternal God is thy refuge. Refuge means a den or a dwelling place, a shelter, if you will. It's a, it's a covering. It's something to keep you out of the weather, to keep you from a harm. You see, God is our refuge. God is protecting us. God is keeping us safe from all harm. Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1, the Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And it continues, therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Think about a refuge. We were camping in Huntsville on Mary Lake and... uh, (laughs) It rains pretty hard up there in August, I, we found out multiple times. One time we were actually out on the boat with uh, Blair and Mel, and we were just starting to come in, getting everything cleaned up, and it starts pouring. I mean, torrential downpour. It is coming down so hard. My wife was running to the car, and she asked me as she left, Is the car unlocked? I said yes, because I thought it was. So she made it to the car before the rain had really begun to come down. She pulls on it, and it's locked. I'm too far away for the remote to work. I'm too far away for, to, for me to hear her even, because not by now, it is coming down. <laughs> you can imagine how happy my wife was. 
we got changed and got everything in order and we still, this is, we needed to eat lunch. And so we parked the car within, oh, I don't know, probably from me to Derek away from a pavilion. And just before we got out and started to get everything out, it comes down again, like so hard that from the time I ran from here to there, I mean, I ran, it was like I jumped in the lake. But you know what? Once you got under that pavilion, the rain didn't hit you anymore. You see, God's the same. There's things that go around on this earth. There's things that come down. There's things that, that come out. And we, I mean, this, the world's going crazy and things are just bad. Things don't look good. And you feel like you're going to just drown in all of this. But God is there. He's your refuge and he's your strength. We can have comfort in that. Can you imagine me cooking our dinner with a Coleman stove in the pouring down rain? It would be funny. We wouldn't get much cooked, and it would be awful gross. But when that refuge was there, when that covering was there, we were able to stay out of the weather, and we were able to sit down and enjoy our lunch. God is our refuge. But notice this. The eternal God is thy refuge. Watch this. And underneath are the everlasting arms. So he's a refuge over top of us, and underneath are his everlasting arms. Not only does he cover us, God bears us up. God keeps us afloat. He keeps us planted on the rock, if you will. The wise man built his house upon a rock, and guess what? The rains came, and the winds blew, and guess what? The house stood firm because of God on the everlasting arms, we don't have to worry of our foundation eroding. We don't have to worry about God ever allowing us to slip away from him. God is our foundation. He bears us up. You know what else they call Jesus, right? The chief cornerstone. He is the the, the beginning, the solid rock of the cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is the beginning of everything that we have. He is our everlasting arms that bear us up. His arms are everlasting. We sing a song like this too, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Listen, we get that opportunity. We can have joy. We can have peace because God is so near. We can have an absolute comfort. Leaning on the everlasting arms. But when you have absolute comfort, there come some benefits with that. Let's take a look at verse uh, 27 again. The Bible says this, And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them, Israel. Then, after they have destroyed the people in the land, Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens, here it is again, shall drop down dew. Listen, there's wonderful blessings that come 
with God being our absolute refuge and our strength, somebody that bears us up. God promises to provide all kinds of comforts. He promises to be a covering. He promises to bear us up. He promises to thrust out the enemy. He promises to allow us to dwell in safety alone. He promises us corn and wine. And he promises us uh, drop down dew from heaven. God promises all kinds of comforts. Some of you think, well, how come I'm not comfortable then? I'm going to give you something else to write down. God never promised that he would make us comfortable. There's a difference here. And one that I think we need to understand because God does give us comfort. But God never promised to make us comfortable. God didn't promise that he would take the storm away. He promised to protect us during the storm. God never promised that he would take the storm away. God promised that he would protect us during the storm. Do you realize that the children of Israel here, again, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River to fight Jericho. To fight Jericho. Is that comfortable? No, it's not. But God would comfort them by tearing down the walls for them. God would comfort them by defeating the enemies of the land. God would comfort them by giving them manna all throughout the wilderness. God would comfort them by giving them a quail and providing water out of a rock. God would comfort them in giving them a, 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 a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to walk by the way. God is a comfort for us. He will not take those storms away, but he will comfort us through them. He will protect us during them. God will provide us, provide for us during the storm. He will give us safety. He will drive the enemy out. But there is still a fight that has to happen. There is still a war that's going on. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse three. The Bible says this Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, watch this now, and the God of all comfort. Who comfort us comforteth us in what? All our tribulations. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Listen, God never promised to make you comfortable. God never promised that he would make us comfortable, but he did promise us that he would comfort us. There are going to be tribulations. There are going to be problems. There are going to be things in our lives, but God promised that he would comfort us through them. He sent us the Holy Spirit which he calls another comforter. God is there for us. 
God will always be there for us. God is our absolute comfort in all things. We've seen that there's no containment to God, which allows us to have absolute comfort, but all of these things should give us, number three, a compelling courage. A compelling courage. Go back to Deuteronomy 33. Look at verse 29. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 29. The Bible says this, happy art thou. Happy art thou. You guys should come up here sometime and look at what I get to look at. Every week. Happy art thou. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Happy art thou. Look there. O Israel, who is like unto thee? O people, say by the Lord, the shield of thy help. And who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee. And thou shalt tread upon their high places. Listen. He says, because of all of these things, because of how great God is, because of the comfort that he gives you, happy art thou. Who is like unto thee? Do you get excited about what you have in Christ? Do you get joyful about what you have in Christ? Or do you just sit back and go, God, I want more. God, you need to provide for me more. God, you need to take me out of this tribulation. God, you need to take me out of this test. I don't want to be here anymore. Or do you just think about all that you have in Christ? Because we have everything. Who is like unto us? The world? The world is like unto us? No way. No way. They have no hope. They don't know what's coming at the end of their life. They don't even know why they're on this earth. We have a hope. We have an eternal purpose to glorify God in everything we do. Oh, happy art thou, people saved by the Lord. You see, the children of Israel had seen God do some amazing things. They had seen God's hand provide. They had seen God already conquer nations. When you see these things, when you see God work, you know what that does for me anyway? It gives me more courage. Hey, if God can tackle that thing, he can tackle this thing. If God can pay my bills in college, God can pay my bills now. God can do amazing things if we will but just have faith. The end of verse 29 again. He's the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee. And thou shalt tread upon their high places. The high places. The highest point is the hardest spot to get. If you're in any type of war. If you, if you hold the highest place, you're in a good position. Also, the highest places are usually the places where those people worship their false gods. And God says, those high places, those strongholds, anything that you think, how in the world are we going to ever conquer that? He says, you're going to tread upon them. You're going to walk all over them. You don't have to worry about them. I love this part. They shall be found liars unto thee. I don't know 100% what that means. But I remember playing paintball with my uncle and my dad and then Dan Heisel. I remember, this time we're going to beat them. 
This time we're going to beat them. I know I got it all figured out. This time we're going to beat them. You know what I was doing? I was lying to myself. There was no way in the world we were going to beat those guys. And I don't, I don't care what Jericho thought. I don't care if they thought, oh, man, we got these big walls. There's no way they're going to penetrate through these things. They don't even have battering rams. They don't even have equipment. I mean, they don't even have horses or anything like this. They don't have chariots. They don't have chariots of iron. It doesn't matter. Listen, they're lying to themselves because they forgot who was on our side. God is. Listen, the world out there might say, oh, we're going to put Christianity out. Our government might say, listen, we're going to do away with, with religion. and We're going to put this stuff away. Listen, they have forgotten that we have God on our side. It's God. Who does it? You know, Satan is the father of lies. Satan lies and lies and lies. Satan has no hold on you. Satan does not have your soul anymore if you're saved and know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know this, Satan might be able to hurt your circumstances. Satan might be able to take uh, something away from you. Satan may be able to take uh, your money or, or, or problems and give those to you, but... He cannot hurt your spirit. He can't touch it. Because you have the spirit of God living inside of you if you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Understand this. There is nothing that can overcome our God which should give us a compelling courage. We are more than conquerors. Satan is already defeated. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even death. I'm going to take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Passage most of you would know. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55. The Bible says this. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But watch this. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this now. Therefore, because of what God has done, because the sting of death is no longer there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know, get this, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Keep going. Keep going. Stay steadfast. The only time people give up is when it looks grim. Right? The only time you give up on life, the only time a, a soldier gives up is when it looks like he can't make it. It just doesn't, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And look at our world is not getting better. We all understand that, right? It's not getting better. The Bible says that it's going to wax worse and worse and worse. It's not going to get better. But do you understand? You may not see light at the end of the tunnel in this world, but know that God is the light of the world. 
He is there. He will always be there. Don't give up. He is taking care of everything. He will work for your good. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, be ye steadfast, unmovable. This is the message. This is the message that Moses is giving. The next thing we see is Moses going up to the mountain to die. He's going to look across. And he's going to see the land that God gave them. And the last thing that Moses gives the children of Israel is, hey, God's got this. God is far greater than you could ever imagine him to be. He rides on the heaven. His excellency is in the sky. Listen, he's going to give you everything you ever needed. He's going to give you comfort and and refuge. And he's going to bear you up. And that should give you such a compelling courage. Should make you so brave in the midst of battle. Listen, God's got this. God can handle it. No matter what your problem no matter what you're going through. If you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you are his child. And God protects and God provides for his children. You, you do know that he does discipline his children. But he does it for our good so that we can continue to conquer. Let's conquer through Christ this week. Let's trust in the almighty God that we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all you've been doing. Thank you so much for what you've conquered in lives across this room. Father, many of them have testimony of things that you've done in their lives that they can look back to. And that they can reminisce and think about it and just be in awe of you. Father, I pray that this week many of us rest on the fact that you are great and that you will comfort us in the storm Father, that we can have courage to keep going on. Father, for many in this room, I know many are going through difficulties, struggles in their life. Help them not to be weary in their mind. Help them to be, remain steadfast, unmovable. I ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed.